Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing what I've learned from my greatest teachers, my clients. My clients have truly been some of my greatest teachers. I was an interning therapist in 2005 in New Orleans, and that's the year that Katrina hit. I became a working counselor in 2006. That means 2023 makes 17 years that I have been in this field. I have had countless interactions in individual therapy and group therapy environments. I have worked in hospitals. I have worked in private practice. I have worked in adolescent homeless shelters. I've worked in high schools. I've had my own little yoga studio. The people that have come and gone in my life have been such opportunities of growth for me. There's this Buddhist idea and teaching that people come into our lives for a season to teach us something, for us to learn something, and then they move on. Growing up in New Orleans and in the South, I call it a fraternity or a sorority mindset that we sort of grow up with this very quiet, not spoken expectation that the people that we meet in life are just going to be with us forever and ever till the end. And that has felt hurtful to me a lot of times in unfolding or unraveling that quiet expectation that I didn't even realize that I had. This Buddhist teaching has brought me a lot of peace. This is a very big reality that people are going to come and go. So I value my time with people, whether it's short or long-lived, about what I'm going to learn, what I'm going to take from those interactions. No one prepared me for what this career as a psychotherapist, as a counselor, would give me. I was warned about the inevitability that a client would at some point in my career have a successful suicide, that I would, as an addictions professional, lose a lot of people to that addiction. And I have. What wasn't presented to me was the beauty of watching people commit to changing their lives. The gift of that intimacy has helped me be a stronger person for myself and then for other people, for subsequent clients. When we witness someone in their strength, in their resiliency, in their own dedication to practice an ownership over whatever they have to own, Because we don't choose to have traumatic things happen to us. But once they've happened, we have the choice to stand in our responsibility to own our life and own our path from 
that point forward to find, to give ourselves what we need to expand, to shed what no longer serves us, to shed and let go of whatever hurt us, to squeeze out the wisdom that's so hard-earned and move forward. It has grown me into a better person with a bigger heart, with more patience for life, for myself, and for my clients as they navigate the messiness of life to find more peace, more security, and more fulfillment in this one precious life. So I made a little list, and this is a hard list to make because I could list out umpteen billion things. The list could go on and on and on forever. The first thing I want to talk to you about that my clients have taught me over the years is that we are all truly connected. Now, I have read umpteen billion things over the past 20 years about spirituality and connection. And for a long time, I understood that in my head. I understood that we are all part of the human condition. We are all part of the collective unconscious. Okay, we are all connected. But that was just a thought. That was just some knowledge, just an idea. Going through the experience of working with so many people over these 17 years has actually shown me in a way that defies word and story, how connected we all are. There's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous in AA that people die of terminal uniqueness. When we are in our pain, it's part of the trick that pain or our egos play on us as individuals. Our pain experience seems to tell us that we are the only person who has ever felt such pain, that we are isolated in our pain, that our pain is unique. That's why AA says some people die of terminal uniqueness. They convince themselves that they are unlike everyone else at that AA meeting, that they are somehow different. They are terminally unique. And that inability to allow themselves to be humbled to look through a lens of how am I similar? How am I the same while holding on to I must be terminally unique is the very killer that separates us from our tribe, that separates us from our very own humanity, that blocks us from relating to others. And we are social creatures. It is in this relation, in seeing others, that our own selves often come into focus. If we have available empathy in reasonable amounts, in healthy amounts, or large amounts as highly sensitive people and empaths, then we can understand and empathize with anyone's hurt, with their sadness, with their rejection, with their embarrassment. But we can also be inspired. Think about this phrase that I'm about to use. We are moved. Isn't that interesting that that's the word that we use? When we're inspired by somebody, we are moved by them. By bearing witness to someone's recovery, we are moved forward. By seeing them get to the other side of sadness and grief, we become inspired by the human resiliency that we see in someone else that then gets reflected back to us, that we then reflect back to someone else. This is part of the spiritual fabric of our human existence as we relate to each other in this human tribe. The beauty that I have been gifted to be able to witness someone else rebuilding their own life is such a power 
that exponentially moves from one person through another person, through another person, through another person. It is far too easy and accessible for us to understand that we can pass misery very easily amongst us, but we can pass joy. We can pass resiliency. We can share the strength of this human experience. Every person I have come into contact with is a guru in this way. And that might be a fancy word that has a lot of woo-woo attached, but all guru means is a teacher. Any teacher is a potential remover of goo, remover of the ick, the guru. By embracing each person that comes into my life, each moment of relational energy, as a teacher, as a guru, I get to respect myself and my own energy and that of the person that I am with. These interactions enrich us. When we accept that people come into our lives to teach us and then move on, we can then look through the lens of what is this person, what is this moment offering me? Some people come into my life to teach me patience and letting go. Some show up to help me learn to speak up and that it's okay to rock the boat. Sometimes it's necessary to rock the boat and sometimes I even flip it over. Some people have come into my life to teach me and show me what readiness for change looks like. And others have come into my life to show me, to teach me, to help me see that some people are still very much in their resistance, that some people are holding on to their familiar for the sake of comfort, even while the familiar wreaks havoc on their present moment psyche and their lives. This has taught me and helped me to let go to be encouraging of myself getting outside of my comfort zone, even when every fiber of my being is sort of screaming and begging to just be allowed to sit in the comfort of what is known instead of reaching for a healthier unknown. Some people come into my life to rub me like sandpaper, y'all. I know y'all have some sandpapery people in your lives too. If I embrace this, then these people help me soften my edges. Just like that sandpaper might sand the edge of a wood table. I get to be mindful in these moments of softening my edge while maintaining my shape. We don't want to overdo it on the sandpaper on the edge of that table and lose shape. When we allow that our interactions don't happen to us, Rather, they happen for us. We grow our wisdom. We grow our centeredness. We grow our peace. We grow self-respect. We get to learn from each other no matter what. It's not all fun. It's not all bunnies and rainbows. But we can embrace and respect this, this nature, this spirit of learning as we interact, as we rub up against each other in those sandpapery ways. We can embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's a lot in our relatability that is glorious and fun and warm and huggy and light and beautiful. And there's a lot that's sandpapery. This embracing has changed my relationship with being alive 
instead of feeling victimized by life, like things are happening that are unfair to me and shouldn't be happening, fighting that flow of life, this acceptance, this openness that we are all connected, that people are my gurus, whether they know it or not. This has opened me to experiences that continue to grow my emotional intelligence and help me honor my hard-earned wisdom and let future wisdom be easier earned. The next thing I want to share with you that my clients have taught me over the years is that energy and intuition are real. Okay, I was raised by people in a family that anything woo-woo was the devil. Now, I can look back at my life and see that I've been using intuition all of my life. It is something I was born with. I am not of the camp that all of our empath qualities or high sensitivity, that 100% of that comes from trauma. There are professionals who believe that. I believe that it is both in my life and in many of the people that I work with, that I was born with this propensity to be an energetic being, to be an intuitive. I actually believe we all have intuitive insights, abilities. It's just that most of us smush those down, ignore those, especially if we come from family systems when that woo-woo stuff is taught as bad or if we're raised in religious homes that we're taught that it's evil or potentially dangerous. I've known things in this intuitive way my whole life that I just couldn't have known. I sort of shoved these moments to the edge of my mind, kind of shoved them back there and labeled them just kind of another way that I'm weird. I think that was the best way I knew how to categorize that in my mind as a younger person. If we fast forward to starting my private practice in 2009, my intuition was sort of suddenly put in my face. I'd wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to get a new client today. But it was less a thought and more of a vibe that washed over me in a neutral way. That's different than how any brand new entrepreneur might wake up and set an intention to get a new client today. That's different than practicing the affirmation of new clients come to me with ease. I am here to help the very people that want and need my help. Bring them to me with ease, universe. This is how we hear intuition. It's a neutral observation. The second we grab that neutral observation and start to think it to death in the overthinking parts of our mind, in the pattern of overthinking that most of us have had if we grew up with tension, that's when we leave intuition and from that intuitive place, we actually create anxiety from the mind. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm 
history or go to calmhistory.com. So I started figuring out that once I had an established caseload, that I'd have a neutral observation of thinking about a client. And for months, maybe even a year and a half or two years, this is how this sounded inside of my own mind, my own interpretation of the feeling that my intuitive gut had. I would think, oh, Susie, just in this very neutral way, like, oh, it's cool today, or oh, it's warm today. It's just, oh, Susie. I wonder if I should reach out to Susie. I haven't heard from her in a while. That's it. It would just wash over me. A thought very easy to just dismiss, to not even really notice. We have so many thoughts in a day, right? But that was happening so often to me that I had it proven that what I had been taught was woo-woo and ridiculous actually held some water and was real. Because I would have this thought about a client and within minutes... I would sometimes have a call on my phone or an email that would come in, maybe an hour or two. And it happened over and over and over again. And this is a gift that I received because of the nature of my work. I suspect any of us that are out there that are highly sensitive and empathic, when we are working with the public in a one-on-one basis where we have appointment after appointment after appointment, We really are getting an education in what we're in tuning, what we're sensing, and we get to test it out and practice it. So therapists out there, coaches who work in a similar capacity to me, believe it or not, it's my stylists because my hairstylists that I have worked with a lot over the years, we're just drawn to each other. I've always had great relationships with whoever's styling my hair long-term relationships with whoever's styling my hair, kind of like I've had with therapists in my life. Because there's something very intimate about letting someone into your chair, putting your hands all over their hair, all over their head, and helping them craft how they're going to present themselves to the world. And client after client brings the opportunity to test out our intuitions. Once I started realizing, okay, I am really sensing what's that people are thinking about me and then they reach out, what do I do with this? I started changing this interpretation in my body and mind. So instead of, oh, maybe I should reach out, I'm thinking about this person. I flipped it to, oh, Susie must be thinking of me right now. I look forward to hearing from you soon, Susie. And I just send that out into the universe. Now, I wouldn't describe this as psychic, though the argument could be made. The framework that I give myself for this is that I have the gift of prophecy. This has been a gift and a burden. And if you have this gift too, I know that you know that it really can feel burdensome. Nobody really shows us or tells us what to do with this. And it feels weird. It feels odd. It feels like coincidence after coincidence after coincidence until you can't let yourself believe that it's just coincidence. The more that we work with this by relating to other people who also have such a gift, but who also feel reasonably grounded, reasonably realistic, and open about talking about their gift of prophecy or their intuitive abilities in a way that can really resonate. 
Those are the people that will help you understand, accept, and expand on your abilities in a way that can be really self-respecting. And it raises sort of the gift quotient of this gift inside of us and lowers the burden. Coming from Louisiana Catholicism with Haitian voodoo in the New Orleans air that I was raised in, I was terrified of this intuition. I was worried it was the devil. I was worried people would think I was stupid or crazy or demonic. I'm at peace today with this intuitive gift, and I keep growing it year after year. I trust it. I trust it like I trust my hearing or my sight. I trust it as one of my senses. My clients gave me the proof that I needed to accept this about myself. And yes, I believe that everyone has such an intuitive ability, but most shut it down or off for so many reasons. So if you hear me say this and you shut it off, maybe that's best for you. I can't tell you that. But if there's anything in you that is curious about this, I just want you to know that there's a way to make peace with this, to understand your intuitiveness and to help it feel more like a gift than a burden. All right, the next thing I want to share, what I have learned from my clients over the years is that the funniest people have been to hell and back with their trauma. That might sound like a weird thing for me to say. Let me try to explain how I've come up with this. Trauma pushes our consciousness, especially betrayal trauma by other people in the tribe. When other people hurt us, when they hit us, when they physically abuse us, when they sexually violate us, emotional abuse too, that counts here. But these traumas push our mind into dark corners because where else are we supposed to go in those moments where a betrayal trauma is happening to us, if not into some realm of our mind. So trauma survivors, I have come to learn, have been pushed to some corners of their mind the way a non-abused mind maybe doesn't ever get pushed to. It doesn't mean if you weren't traumatized, you, you can't have a dirty mind too, or have a killer sense of humor. But there is just this pattern I've seen. Humor transforms pain into light. And that light then helps us release. So what an interesting thing. It's part of why I am so for comedy and comedians. I have been working on an episode that I'm nowhere near finishing, really wanting to speak to comedy and comedians about how important it's been in my development to have some early comedians in my life make fun of incest, make fun of rape. They were the first people that I heard use those words out loud. That very much helped me get to a place of being able to speak the secret of my household. I very much owe comedy a whole lot of permission that it gave me to speak my truth. This is part of why as an emotionally healthy society, we really need comedians. We need comedy. We need a no holds barred, no boundaries around what those comedians can make fun of. If you are a comedian out there, know that you can always use any part of my story to make fun of, and I will be 
delighted. When we really heal, we no longer walk on eggshells. And the comedians in our worlds are the ones that push those boundaries and push those limits. I'm the boundaries teacher, y'all. Part of why I am good at teaching boundaries is because I also understand when and where and how they need to also be pushed. That's why I love comedy and comedians. Some of the people who have been through some of the worst traumas that I'm not going to repeat here, but the worst of the worst that you can imagine will also tell me how much they enjoy the dirtiest, darkest comedy under the sun. It helps us make sense of our pain, y'all. Next thing I want to share with you that I have learned from my amazing clients over the years is to go with the flow. Now, again, I knew in my head and in my mind that we're supposed to go with the flow more, right? We know this as smart people, as emotionally intelligent people. We know that going with the flow is a good thing. Just because we know that doesn't necessarily mean that we have the musculature, the practice going with the flow. And trauma has this anti-flow quality. A lot of my most severe PTSD symptoms over the years were the impeding of my natural flow. That hypervigilance that makes us stop, hyper-observe, be aware of everything that's happening in an attempt to be safe because at any moment it could become unsafe. That's what trauma teaches, which in a way is a message of, I cannot let go and go with the flow. To let go and go with the flow means I am not taking care of myself. I am not on guard. I am not on watch. And that feels very, very dangerous after we've had a lot of trauma. So how have my clients taught me to go with the flow? Well, a million billion ways. Here is one specific way that has stuck out in my mind and has really just stayed in my heart. I ran a group when I was in Houston. It was an all-Mexican group in a high school. I believe I might have been the only white lady there. When the students couldn't remember my name, I was the little white lady. And one of these students came to the support group I was running with a Yoda doll. Now, I knew about this kid that this kid would act up in class. This kid had figured out how to be a distraction, how to act out to get attention from his peers in opposition against his teachers. So I walk into my group and I see that this kid has a big giant Yoda doll. Yep, Yoda. And in that moment, I took a deep breath because it challenged that part of me that didn't know how to go with the flow freely yet. And so I felt the resistance in my body. I felt a, uh, like he's going to derail everything I have planned today. Uh, kind of resistance, annoyance, aggravation. What do I do? Little trepidation, some anxiety. And then something just clicked in for me that what this kid needed and how I could use this moment was I didn't have to resist him. I didn't have to go against. I could go with the flow. I could go with the resistance. So instead of fighting that he had brought Yoda into the group, I said, oh, great. I'm so happy to have Yoda in group today. And we passed Yoda around and I would ask each kid whatever I was talking about, would ask them a question. Then I'd say, okay, if you were Yoda, how would you answer? And they would come up with so much wisdom 
that they wouldn't allow themselves to give as themselves because it's vulnerable to try, right? There's that thing in high school where it's cool to not care. It's kind of cool to roll your eyes and think the therapist in the room is being a pain in the ass, right? So I used Yoda. Now, that was one of the funnest groups. The kids had a lot of fun. That kid never tried to derail my group again after that. And I made damn sure that I lit up like the 4th of July every time I saw that young man. I wanted him to know that I appreciated how his mind worked. I wanted him to know that he could get attention just by being himself, that he didn't have to act up. That wasn't a conversation I had with him. That was an energy that passed between us because I took his cue And instead of resisting his cue, I went with the flow. When we aren't attached to our own expectations of how something should be or how it should go or what I planned, we really can let go and go with the flow. And as trauma survivors, this is something that we've got to allow ourselves to practice and be messy with. You've got to be willing to go with the flow even while part of your system, that hypervigilant part is like, no, stop. I just desperately want to hang on to control. I figured this out in my mind already and I want it to go the way that I want it to go. We can go with the flow. And the more that we practice it, the easier it gets, the better it feels. I am so grateful that I know how to go with the flow today. That flow can actually bring us to greater places than we planned, than we imagined, than we are gripping with the controlling parts of our mind that are frightened to let go. Letting go as a child, if we had a rager around, if we had a narcissist as a parent, if we had very immature reactive parenting, was terrifying. So we learn to try to grab onto control in our thoughts It's similar to how in eating disorder, guess what? A lot of times people with eating disorders come from homes where there's a lot of control. Something you can control is what's going in your mouth or what's not going in your mouth. So the more that we work with our propensity to let go of control and going with the flow, the more we practice ease, living life instead of Instead of surviving life's moments, we've already survived, you guys. If we had a tough childhood, we already survived. Helping ourselves know that we're in a better place now, even if things are still hard, because grown up you can make decisions for you that little kid you couldn't make. That is a power, and that is the actual control that you have. The control I had in that moment with Yoda was in going with the flow not gripping my plan. We don't have to grip. We don't have to control all the things the way parts of us might want. This actually helps us have more fun and feel more alive. And that's its own pretty cool antidepressant. I'm going to pause here. I have more to say. So this is going to be an extended two-part episode If you want to dive more deeply with me, I invite you to come hang out in our Patreon, patreon.com backslash emotional badass. We have hours and hours and hours of live stream Q&As from the almost five years of content we have been putting there. 
We have well over 50 episodes that are not available here. They're not available on our website. And Patreon, it's a smaller, cozier community. As intimate and open as I am here, I do think you get a little more of my personality. You get to see me on video and it might sound strange. There's a lot that I can transmit through you being able to watch me with my body language that I just can't do over this microphone here. So if you resonate with my work, emotionalbadass.com backslash Patreon. Light and love, I'm an emotional badass, you're an emotional badass, and together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.